Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Monday, April 24th, 2023. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at MikeSilvaMedia. And you can show up on podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You can also get me on Instagram, TalkingMetsNoG. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network, as well as risingapple.com. Welcome to another edition of the Talking Mets podcast. Coming to you on this day off, Monday night, Mets just completed a 7-3 West Coast trip. 17 of their first 23 games were on the road. And look, uh, not a heck of a lot makes sense these days, because if you told me coming into today's show, the Mets are 14-9, right there with the Braves for first place in the National League East, one of the better records in baseball, Yet their pitching staff, specifically their starting pitching, is 28th out of 30th in baseball. The offense has gotten nothing out of third base, nothing out of the catching position. Yet, statistically, is only behind the Tampa Bay Rays offensively. And the bullpen would be without Edwin Diaz. I wouldn't think the Mets would be 14-9, and but here they stand on April the 24th. And joining me in just a little bit to discuss it and get his take Pat Ragazzo, Pat covers the Mets for Sports Illustrated. He's in the clubhouse. We'll get his take on where this team is about 15% of the way through. So like I said, coming into this thing, not a lot makes sense with this Mets team. And as a matter of fact, not a heck of a lot has made sense in baseball. I mean, the Pittsburgh Pirates have one of the best records in the league. So sometimes you get surprised about the results, and it's very, very early. We're not even in, we're not even into May. May 1st is still about a week away. But... We have talked about now for a couple of weeks the concerns we've had with the pitching staff, the starting pitching, and how you can't see the Mets sustaining their blueprint, which has been put together, and we've said it time and time again, just enough offense, an offense that wears down the opposing pitcher, gets the job done, maybe a home run here or there, a very strong bullpen, even without Diaz, a strong bullpen, winning a lot of one- and two-run games, but that is all predicated on strong pitching, pitching that can get you into the sixth and seventh inning with a high-quality start. You haven't seen that. 
I mean, you haven't seen a Scherzer. You haven't got an inning out of Verlander. Kodai Singer has given you the worst on this West Coast trip of what you could have expected of him coming over Japan. And Peterson and McGill are not giving you what you got, even against sub-500 teams at times, what you got with Carrasco and Taiwan Walker last year. So you have a bit of a problem. When you're 28th out of 30th in starting pitching, you should not be anywhere near the top of the National League East. Now, the question really is, is this a bit of a mirage? And I guess that's a questionable ask, Pat, because I really don't know right now. Now, on a positive note, you basically have an offense that right now has had two dead spots in the lineup, in third base and the catching position. And the hope is that with Alvarez potentially getting some learning here at the big league level, and Beatty, who has shown a little bit more pop with that bat, even though his numbers don't indicate that, that that will change. Of course, it helps when you've got Brandon Nimmo playing Ricky Henderson and Pete Alonso playing Barry Bonds there with the way they've started their 2023 campaign. Um, but really, when you get boil this down to it, nothing that we've seen so far indicates that this is a winning ball club. This is a ball club that's championship level. Everything we saw from day one opening day to pretty much when things went poorly at the end of the season, even when they were playing San Diego, the Mets had the bones and the feeling of a team that could compete and win a championship, even when they went into their ruts. This team doesn't give you that indication yet. Now, the good news is the two linchpins of that rotation that you have built this this team on, the 40-year-old, Verlander, the 39-year-old, soon-to-be 40-year-old Scherzer, with them coming back, and the hope there is that that will sway the starting rotation and things could you know move in the right direction. Now, on the note of Scherzer, I haven't had a chance to come to you since the whole suspension thing, what happened in L.A. It was so baffling, I don't even know where to go. Now, by the rules, by the constitution of the rules, Scherzer should have been thrown out and suspended. Typical of Major League Baseball, there is no consistency or clarity on what they're going to do with the sticky, sticky substance rule. Blah. Say that 10 times fast. Sticky substance rule. No clarity because baseball always kind of is reactive to things. So now you have a Hall of Fame pitcher who, you know, maybe he was using a little more rosin because of the weather that day. Of course, there's always the conspiracy theories that Scherzer's losing it and, you know, he's on the decline. And we've talked about that. That would be a worst-case scenario for the Mets. And gets thrown out of the ball game and and here and that's where we're at at this point. Now, to me the big issue is not debating baseball and the rule and Phil Cuzzy and all that stuff because that doesn't really matter anymore. Baseball's not going to be able to define this thing. I don't care if you try to use spin rate or some kind of algorithm. This is always going to be at the umpire's discretion. Now, there were articles earlier in the year, and I was actually trolling the internet a little bit before I came on, and Mark Feinstein wrote about this over at MLB.com, where the league was thinking about cracking this down. Now, you heard some conspiracy theories. Maybe it's because Scherzer's in the union. Uh, you know, Maybe they want to make an example of a Hall of Famer like Scherzer to warn the rest of the league, like, hey, don't mess around with Rosin. You're starting to hug the line on a rule that you know things were going well, the spin rate was being addressed. You know, Not that... You know, the league is hitting like you know, at the top of the game like they, they did in the good old days, let's say. But the game isn't as ugly as it was before they instituted the ban on sticky substance. But it looked like you everybody was up there flailing away at some wiffle ball game. The thing here with Scherzer, where you're really at, and it's interesting because this is going to be something to watch. 
How does he go about his craft and move forward when he comes back without kind of looking over his shoulder? And as a Mets fan, every time Scherzer walks back to the dugout after an inning and they do that little spot check, are you holding your breath thinking, is this the time where they go after him again? And if something happens where it's an indication that he's in violation, what does the penalty look like going forward? And I'll tell you what. This is as much, this Scherzer situation is as much the crux of where this team and how much they are real and how much they are a mirage because I think it's fair to say Verlander comes back and is going to give you top of the rotation stuff. There was no indication up until the end of spring training that this is a guy that's toast. Yeah, he struggled a little bit in the postseason, and I'm sure you want to put in regression and what have you. Sure, you could do that. But if for some reason... Max Scherzer, and I'm not asking for vintage 2015 Max Scherzer here. You know, I'm asking for a very good top of the rotation Max Scherzer, an older Max Scherzer, a guy that we know is going to once in a while need an oil change, happened in Washington, you sort a little bit with the side injury and everything like that. If that Max Scherzer is not, you know, I'm not saying he's Tom Glavin, end of 2007, getting blasted by the Marlins and fading into the sunset. Steve Carlton, 1987. I'm not saying he's going that route. But if he is more pointing towards league average and inconsistent than he is to consistently being the guy you could count on, the guy that went into Atlanta last year um, and, and had a big game back in August, the guy that seemed to dominate even in between the oblique shutdowns and what have you, then the Mets have a problem. Because I'm going to tell you something right now. And I know I've been belaboring this point now. I talked about it probably for a couple of weeks. It is very hard to see the Mets sustaining. Even with the offense doing this well. With I evoked a couple of Hall of Famers in comparing Pete Alonso and Brandon Nimmo. I'm not saying that that's exactly what's going to happen. You know, that these guys are going to continue at that rate. They probably won't. But... Even with the offense showing improvement, getting contributions with third base in the catching position that's better than significantly below league average, I can't see this team consistently competing at any level for a playoff spot with the kind of performance they're getting nightly from their pitching staff. The walks that is giving, the non-competitive starts of a David Peterson, the laborious starts of a Tyler McGill. Even when he's good, he could barely get through five innings. Carrasco at this point with bone chips, you have to think he's going to be shut down for extended period of time, and you have to think he's not going to give you much this year. Similar to, I mean, he had bone chips removed, if you remember, I believe before last season. So indicating there's a little bit of a, of a problem there. You don't know when you're getting Quintana back. Uh, and, and look, Joey Lucchese was a great story the other night, but he's also another pitcher that historically doesn't go deep into games, even when he gives you a good outing. So you've got a bunch of five-inning pitchers. Best case scenario, they give you five innings, one to two runs. Worst case is that they don't even get you through the fifth, and they give up three or four runs, and they put you in a situation where you got to win with bats and bullpen. Now, if you want to talk about history and evoking a little Mets history here, well, look, the 2006 Mets won in a very similar fashion. Remember, the 2006 Mets started guys uh, uh, Jeremy Gonzalez, Jose Lima, Alay Solar throughout the year. Not exactly the kind of stellar starting pitching depth that you'd expect for a team that won 97 games and you know nearly you know, came within a game of going to the World Series. But they won it when they made up for it with an elite offense and 
a very strong bullpen, an elite bullpen. Actually, an offense that was elite, but had some pockets, some of this Mets team where you worried about them, especially down in the lineup. So really, this Scherzer situation, you know, I could have made a whole show about it. We could have railed about Phil Cuzzy. We could have railed about the hypocrisy of baseball. We could rail about how they never get things right and everything is willy-nilly and they figure it out along the way. But that's not really productive. It doesn't matter. It's a waste of hot air. You could get that on talk radio. The real issue is, is there now a target on the back of a Max Scherzer? And how does he navigate this? Because it's no different than an NBA player who the refs have it out for that has, what, you know, 16 technical fouls and the next one gets you a suspension. You know, anytime you complain or argue or show emotion, they could tee up because they don't like you. I mean, what, we saw the little science experiment that David Cohn did on Sunday Night Baseball. And if you didn't, see if you could check it out online, where he showed you how the alcohol and the rosin and Coney was basically putting that ball on his fingertip and it was hanging there. <laughs> it's almost not coming off. Uh, not a pitcher. I'm not sure how that would even help Scherzer having that kind of grip. I guess I could make you give you a little bit of a spin there. I don't think that's Scherzer's intent. And you heard him in the post-game press conference, he said, I'd be an idiot if I went out there and put something on after being warned by the umpires. And they did. To Phil Cousy's credit in that crew, it's not like they ejected him right away without warning. They gave him chances. But it's just mind-boggling to me. The guy's in front of an MLB official that's paid to oversee this kind of stuff, washes his hands, and I'm, I'm not saying the official should guide him in terms of telling what to do, but you saw the process. You saw that there's nothing there. So uh, be that as it may. So... This, to me, is huge. When Scherzer comes back, and we're assuming he's going to come back and pitch against Atlanta on Sunday, a week, about a week away, what version of Scherzer do we get? Is this sticky stuff part of what he needs to regain command of his pitches for whatever reason? Control, command, whatever it may be. Um, what version are we going to get? And, you know, the timing is a little bit interesting because now you have Verlander coming back, and really... In the next few weeks, as the Mets head into this homestand, as they head into playing Atlanta for the first time, and they finally get a little home cooking. Look, 17-23 on the road to start the season during this getting-to-know-you phase, and all the adversity I outlaid there for you. Take away Nimmo playing like Ricky Henderson and Pete Alonso playing like Barry Bonds. There hasn't been a lot of things that have come easy for this Mets team. Right around this time now, as we head into May, as we charge into the, the second half of this getting to know you phase that we call it into Memorial Day. We're going to learn a lot about the Mets because if Verlander and Scherzer are Verlander and Scherzer of what they signed up for, at least what they think they could get for them over the next couple of years, I'm not saying that, you know, they're guaranteed, but you thought you could get that small window of dominance still into their early 40s, then everything should be okay. And even with the back end still being a huge problem, it gives them time to figure that out. Because at this point, Peterson, Lucchese, McGill, Maybe even Senga are all kind of uh, on a tryout. I don't think anybody's spot is guaranteed. I could see anybody being regulated to the bullpen or, in the case of guys with options like Peterson, being sent down. But if Verlander and Scherzer are not good or need more time to build up or for some reason have lost their stuff, worst case scenario, then I'm sorry. This is looking more like Mirage than reality. And I can't see, even with an offense that, you know, if Alvarez and Beatty come along as what you would expect, would be pretty prolific. And a bullpen that 
you know, you have a closer doing the best impression of Edwin Diaz without being Edwin Diaz, and some really solid veterans up and down, you know, for the A team, the, you know, that they, they try to protect the Adovino, the Rayleigh, the Robertson, Drew Smith team. That's the A team there. It's just not enough. So you laugh a little bit when I call it the getting to know you phase, but truly that rings true for what we, we have to come because Verlander and Scherzer are going to be, in my opinion, going forward, the big story into May. Because they have to be who you think they are, who you signed for, you know, got $86 million of pitching and two guys, two Hall of Famers that you bet on and said, you know what, at least for the next 24 months, 12 to 24 months, these guys could give me exactly what the back of their, like call the back of their baseball card. But as we say here, the front of their baseball reference page, all that black bold ink, we still think we could get some of that over the next couple of years while we figure out and develop pitching in our farm system. So that is really where we're at now. We don't know why the Mets are where they are, even though we're happy about it, because a lot of the advanced stats say they're not that good. We are curious about how they can go forward. And the two Hall of Famers, the guys that you would think you wouldn't have any questions about during a getting-to-know-you phase, are the ones that truly we're going to try to get to know because – we don't know what version of Scherzer we're going to get coming back from the suspension. We don't know what version of Verlander is going to come in, at least in the short term, coming from this little side strain, Terra's major strain, if, that's, if I even pronounced it correctly. So it's going to be really interesting that two of the known Hall of Fame commodities are two of the quote-unquote getting-to-know-you guys, maybe the biggest getting-to-know-you guys that we need for the 2023 Mets. So... It'll be interesting to see how that goes. I'm sure there's a lot more for us to get to. I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, Pat Ragazzo, Sports Illustrated. What does he think about the 2023 Mets? Get his thoughts. That and more right after this. The Mets have had some of the best broadcasting teams in the history of baseball. We do our part in remembering that, like when Mark Rosamond, co-author of the book Down on the Corner, looked back on the post-game show Kiner's Corner hosted by none other than the iconic Ralph Kiner. I agree with you. You know, you look at it, and, and I've kicked this around with a lot of people, including Steve Gelbs. I would love I know they do the on-field interview, like right after the game, but that's maybe three, four seconds, and, and the player's off into the dugout and into postgame. And then you cut to, you know, Mets postgame live, and you have an hour worth of analysis. Uh, this was just pure player and, and the Hall of Fame player talking baseball. It wasn't over-analytical. It wasn't exit velocity. It wasn't, you know, how many times a shift was deployed in the game. It was just pure, simple baseball. And that's why I think people loved, of our generation loved it. it. I think we've gotten to a point where baseball is over-analyzed, and you lose some of the pureness of the game through the over-analyzation. And I would love to see it go back a little bit, but I don't think it will ever happen. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. We're back, and joining me, friend of the program, Pat Ragazzo. Pat is over at SI.com, Fan Nation, covers the Mets and the Yankees. We won't hit him up for the Yankee stuff. You know, we're not going to talk Anthony Volpe, but uh, Pat is joining us. And Pat, welcome to the program, and and here we are, day off, about 15% of the way through the season. Figured it's a good time for us to check in on this team. 
14 and nine, seven and three West Coast trip, a lot of adversity. The pitching, starting pitching is 28th out of 30th. And, and, you know, we all know what's going on there. Offense has been good. Defense has been good. Bullpen, no Edwin Diaz has been pretty good. But when you look at this Mets team with all the things, the third base situation, Alvarez not hitting, Scherzer, Verlander, all the stuff that's hit them so far, are you feeling good or is this a harbinger of things to come? Let's let's hear your thoughts. Well, first of all, Mike, thanks for having me on. Of course, always a blast coming on here to chop it up with you. But um, I think a 14 and nine starts pretty good. I mean, I felt a little better after they were 14 and seven. You know, of course, dropping the last two games in San Francisco wasn't great. But um, I think all things considered of how poor the starting pitch, poor and injury riddled the starting pitching has been. Um, I think they're in a good spot right now, just a half game out of first from the Braves. And we're so, so early into the season. It's only 23 games. Uh, you just got to hope that the pitching injuries, that they're getting them out of the way now, that they're going to be healthy as the season progresses. Because, you know, Verlander is making his rehab start on Friday, and then hopefully he'll be able to return after that. Um, you know, Scherzer's coming back from the 10-game suspension. And honestly, I think that the suspension might have been a little bit of a blessing in disguise for Scherzer so, so he could just get healthy and kind of be right because obviously he wasn't looking too good to start the season. Uh, and, he, and he had that issue with his with his side soreness or whatever it was that he was dealing with. So I, I think having a start off is actually pretty good for Scherzer right now. Um, that could also be part of the reason why he didn't appeal. I mean, I know he said – he didn't want to appeal if the MLB official was was doing the ruling, but I think he just needs he needs a break too. I think that's gonna wind up paying dividends for them. But uh, you know, the offense is coming around a little bit and they called up Beatty, who's he's gotten some hits. I mean, he's he's not off to a blistering start. He's not doing what he was doing in Syracuse, but you know, you hope that he comes around and Francisco Alvarez, you know, if he hit a home run yesterday, so that's a good sign. And you know, you hope if he gets a little more playing time that, that he, he can show why he was the number one prospect in all of baseball. Um, but I, again, I, I think the Mets are in a pretty good spot. And I think that they, uh, the way they played against the Padres and Dodgers has, has been pretty telling. I mean, I know the Dodgers aren't off to a good start, but they're still the Dodgers. Um, so, yeah, so I think, I think that the Mets, uh, 14 and nine starts a pretty, a pretty good, uh, pr- pretty good for them so far, I would say so far so good. You can check out Pat over on Twitter at Regazzo report. Let's get into Scherzer here because I mean, my issue with MLB is look, the rules are the rules. I get it by the way that the rules are written, he should be suspended. We saw David Cohen on the Sunday night baseball game. I don't know if you saw it. He talked about how the alcohol and the rosin and basically he's holding the ball with one finger. Um, You know, this could be tricky because now here's a guy that is going to be watched by the league. Now you have all the conspiracy theories. The league doesn't like him because of the union, you know, all this other stuff. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to go there, but you got to wonder, is this going to be a thing? Because it's almost like now they're watching him. Is he going to even be able to use Rosin? I'd be afraid to use Rosin now if I was Scherzer. Because what happens if this happens again? You know, you could have a much lengthier suspension. You could have yourself a big issue on your hands. He's going to have to be pretty conservative with it. He can't overdo it. Uh, my question is, how did he not know that alcohol mixed with rosin would make your hand extra sticky? Like I, that's a, like he tried to wash it off with alcohol, but it it actually makes your hand stickier. So I, I'm not really sure uh, what went on there. Um, but yeah, he's going to have to be careful moving forward because they are going to, they are going to probably check him extensively now. And I'm looking, so this is back on March 25th, Mark Feinsend had announced that there was going to be some updated enforcement guidelines. Makes you wonder, and I think, I don't know where I heard this, but someone even said, are they using Scherzer, Hall of Famer, as an example to warn everybody, hey, we'll go, there's no star treatment. This isn't the NBA year. 
We're not going to let this guy do uh, a Ole walk to the basket and then, you know, get a rookie and call a travel. We're going to treat it the same for everybody. So I wonder now that they don't outline what the next penalty will be. But imagine a situation where this becomes a, almost like the NBA version of the ticky tack foul. I mean, could you think about it? This could be a big problem. I, I think that's the bigger story. I don't think he needs it, but Rosin is a normal part of a pitcher's routine. Yeah, yeah, they are. It does seem like they're going to crack down. Well, we saw Domingo Herman had uh, his hands were too sticky, and they asked him to wash his hands, and then he was still too sticky, and they wound up not ejecting him from the game. So, yeah, there is a chance that they were, were trying to make maybe a little bit of an example out of Scherzer. And, uh, you know, obviously when you get ejected for sticky substances, it's just an automatic suspension. So there's really no arguing it there. What do you think about the rotation? So, we look, let's assume Scherzer and Verlander, they get healthy, they get back, and they give you what's left at what you would expect at this point in their careers. You know, maybe you factor in some regression because their age. I don't know what to make of Kodai Senga. You know, I want to like him. I, you know, the ghost fork, all that stuff. But the numbers in Japan indicated a guy that's going to not really pitch deep into games and walk too many guys. That's exactly what he's been. David Peterson's very frustrating. Tyler McGill, another guy, doesn't seem to be able to give you a lot of length. Carrasco, probably not somebody you could count on. Looks like he's hurt. Um, and then you got some of you know the Lucchese and 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 the Butos and what have you. So when you look at this rotation, there is the potential for it to be better, but there's so much reason to say, okay, 14 and 9, 28 out of 30 in starting pitching. The walks are way up over as for the whole staff from last year. Walk killed them in last night's game. That's why they, you know, that was what started it when they got before the Yastrzemski hit. Um, you know, are you more like, hey, I think there's reason to be optimistic about this rotation? Or, you know, I'm just concerned, you know, even with the Scherzer and Verlander pitching well, three, four, five is not like it was last year with Bassett and, and what you got at Taiwan Walker and Carrasco. No, I think there's more reason to be concerned than optimistic right now. I mean, David Peterson was exceptional for them last year in an undefined role. He was up, he was down, he was up. Um, he, you know, he didn't know when his next start was coming. He he had he was a solid 3.83 ERA. And, um, you know, you you thought that that that, that was going to be it. That was the step that he needed to take. He earned – I felt he earned a spot in the rotation heading into this year. Um, but he just – he's been he's been rough. He he has not pitched well at all. Tyler McGill's given them some good starts, but he, he struggles to go deep into games. Um, it's also a concern that they've had to dip into virtually all of their pitching depth already so far. We're 23 games in, and they already have Joey Lucchese – starting games for them, who was exceptional on Friday night. Um, he was great. I mean, first time he's pitched in a regular season game in two years and seven shutout innings. He, he had the best start of any Mets starter this year. Um, but, but yeah, it, there's, it's concerning. You know, you don't have Chris Bassett anymore. You don't have Taiwan Walker anymore. Um, you know, Carlos Carrasco had that bounce back season last year. He was terrible this year in, in the games he's pitched. And now he's, now he's injured and they don't know how his elbow is going to respond to that cortisone shot. So you you can't even rely on this guy. And Jose Quintana is out until July at least. And yeah, there's just, there's a whole lot of injuries and underperformance going on in the rotation so far. And uh, you know, that's kind of, it looks like it's going to be their Achilles heel this year, at least early on. And you're, they're almost winning. If you want to do a throwback, you want to go throwback to Mets history, almost winning like the 06 Mets. If you remember the 06 Mets, strong bullpen, really good offense, starting pitching was shaky, even though Pedro and Glavin were on that club, you know, they were showing their age. And you look at this team, what can be a really positive sign. I went to Fangraphs. They're second in wins above replacement to the Rays on offense as a team. That's with nothing out of third base, nothing out of behind the plate. 
Marte hasn't really got going yet. Uh, Canna really hasn't got going yet. So although I've said this offense is the same offense from a year ago, you know, grind the pitcher down, not sexy, a lot of contact, you know, maybe a Pete home run or, you know, or two there. Um, they have the potential maybe to be a lot better than they were last year offensively. And and it doesn't hit you because when you look up, it's not a sexy offense. But right now with two of the, I mean, major glaring holes at third and catcher, they're only the, the Rays analytically are better than them across the baseball. Whether you believe that or not, that's pretty impressive. It is impressive. And, you know, Jeff McNeil hasn't been Jeff McNeil yet. And he's been he's been coming around a little bit lately, but he hasn't been the bad entitled Jeff McNeil that the Mets have become accustomed to. And Solly Marte has been dealing with that neck issue since Easter, and it's made, made him hard to turn his neck in the batter's box. It's hard to hit that way. Uh, he yeah, he he just he hasn't been himself yet either. So, you know, you, you got to hope hope that those two guys, you know, turn it around soon. I think they will. Um, and, and yeah, this offense is, has been pretty good lately, at least, uh, you know, over the past couple of weeks. And, um, you know, the, there's, there's definitely potential there, especially if Beatty and Alvarez start hitting. Um, I think there's a lot of potential for this offense to be even better. The Alvarez thing is so interesting because he's almost on the clock. He's all, even if he hits the, you know, what out of the ball, when Navarez comes back, they're not going to, I mean, you'd, you'd lose Nito if you set him down. It's interesting how this is going to play out because even if he plays well, you get the gut feeling the way he's been used by Buck Showalter. I know this drives the fans nuts that this is temporary. He's going back to AAA uh, unless something tremendous happens. Uh, they value defense. Nito's defensive. He has no options there. Uh, Nervaez is a guy they brought in probably to bridge the gap for Alvarez. Uh, you know, maybe that's part of why he's struggling. Maybe because he knows he's on the clock. Uh, but you haven't seen a guy – actually seen a guy that's better defensively than offensively. Think about that, Pat. Never would have thought I'd say that. The framing hasn't been bad. All right, the block pitches aren't, you know, there yet. I, you know, I've talked to a scout. He said his footwork wasn't great. But defensively, I haven't really had issues with him. It's the bat that's been slow. Yeah, de- defensively, he's been pretty solid, I would say. He still has work to do. But, um, but yeah, it's the bat. The, the, pl- the lack of plate discipline, he's kind of swinging at everything. Uh, can't lay off the high pitch. Even last night, the, it was a high – pitch and out of the strike zone that that he homered on that he just he hasn't he hasn't been able to lay off that high pitch um so yeah I do think that when Navarro comes back they're probably going to send Alvarez down and, and and it's pretty telling their usage of him that he's kind of playing every other day that that they do see this as a temporary stint that he still needs more time in AAA do you think how, how do you feel that putting him in as a two or three time a week at the big leagues I guess there's always debate on that is that better than him continuing to play at AAA I mean we know he could have AAA pitching uh, Buck has intimated that maybe this is almost like the backup quarterback holding the clipboard. Uh, but that's interesting because in this modern day, kids don't get called up, especially top prospects, maybe the arguably the best in the game, and sit at the big league level. They either play, they get traded, or they don't. You know, they, they get fizzle out. They go down to AAA. So it's quite interesting how they're playing. It's not typical of the modern game. No, it's not. And, yeah, Buck, I think Buck indicated, he said, like, about the the quarterback the top pick quarterback sitting behind the starter to kind of learn. Um, but I, I think it, it's good for him to see big league pitching. I think that even if it's two, two to three times a week, like I think that's going to help him in his development because, you know, not every guy comes up and tears the cover off the ball right away, as we've seen, um, you know, so it's just good for him to kind of see that pitching and develop. And, uh, you know, he'll probably be sent back down, but when he comes up, hopefully he'll be ready the next time to to kind of take the world by storm. So you got Vientos hitting down there. You've got Mauricio learning to play second. Will there be a point in this season, and this is a fan thing, 
Will we see Vientos, Mauricio, Beatty, and Alvarez on the Mets, not the Syracuse Mets, the Mets? And it'd be interesting, how would that even work? Because there are guys on this roster, I mean, they probably didn't want to DL, it's not DL, IL, LaCastro. Uh, what are you going to do with Tommy Pham is a useful piece. Luis Guillaume is a useful piece. You really don't have roster space for all these guys, unless there's a major injury, which you don't want. Yeah, there, there really isn't space for all those guys to be on the team this year. Um, but if Mauricio came up and he played second, then McNeil would play left. Um, you know, that would obviously have to be probably if there was an injury to Canada or someone like that. Um, and Vientos, I mean, the, we talk about third base and catcher. The Mets haven't gotten production out of their DH spot either. Um, I mean, Fam has been solid, but Vogelback's not off to a good start. Um, and that's where Vientos fits in is is in the DH role. So there would have to be an injury to one of those guys, most likely for him to, for him to be up to. So that's, that's the only way that I see all four of those guys being, you know, being in the lineup this year. You're in the clubhouse. You cover the club. I think one of the things for a guy who's been around the team, I think the value of Eduardo Escobar sometimes from a fan perspective is not there. Here's a guy that's been a gentleman with the whole Beatty situation. You know, clearly he's on the backside of his career. He could have asked to be traded and say, look, I don't want to sit on the bench this year. I know he's making $10 million. Uh, but I don't see that unless he's Robinson Cano level bat slow, which I'm not ready to say that yet. I think his bat's a little slow. I think he's showing his age, but not to the point which you saw with Cano. I think Buck likes him. I think the clubhouse respects him. And I think that presence is something that is going to be really difficult for the Mets to give up on unless they are absolutely forced to because of an extreme situation. Yeah, no, his uh, his value is there. I mean, he's a great clubhouse guy. He's a leader in the room. Uh, he just he wasn't cutting it offensively he just wasn't his bat like you said has looked a little slow and he just he he couldn't recapture that September magic that he had last season that that uh you know that wound up saving him saving his job most likely well also Beatty getting injured as well but um yeah I think that there is value that they'd like to hang on to him but uh but yeah he's he's nothing more than a part-time role right now you know unless Beatty really struggles and they have to send him back down but but yeah I think Escobar uh you know he had his chance and uh, he does bring value in other areas, but but just not as an everyday player anymore. More likely to continue this year. Brandon Nimmo playing like Ricky Henderson or Pete Alonzo chasing Barry. Well, it's brought, Aaron Judge has the American League record, but Barry Bonds right now, he's on a Barry Bonds pace yeah. home run uh, tear. What do you think is more likely there? I think Alonzo. I think Alonzo is going to. Really? Yes, I mean he's has a chance to break his own record of 53 home runs this year. He's he's off to a great start, and um, yeah, I think that he's going to continue it. He's gotten so much. I mean, you, you've watched him the last couple of years. I mean, forget rookie year, just from the from 2021 to now. Uh, and I said, you know, I know everyone argues the, the the defense at first it's gotten better, but the value of a first baseman isn't there. I said, if this guy has a big year and he starts get into the Paul Goldschmidt territory. This is a $30 million. This is a 10 year. This is a guy who's going to want 10 years, $300 million. He's going to try. I don't know if he's going to get it. You know, he's really falling into that next level so far where, um, you know, he was always very good, but he's, I think he's heading into that elite level as a hitter. Yeah. If he's, he has a thousand OPS right now and 10 home runs leads to the major leagues. Like he, if he keeps this up this year, then yeah, he's, he's going to be getting a $300 million contract. And the Mets have the money to pay him that. And I think that there's an entertainment aspect and a marketability. There's, you know, he's marketable. And I, I think that uh, that they are going to keep him as, you know, one of those franchise cornerstone players. So, Pat, uh, as we wrap up here, going forward, you're covering the team. You know, we know where they're at. 17 of their first 23 on the road. 
good West Coast trip, all these things that are like usually signs of a team that has distress has not distressed them. What are some of the things you're looking for? What what can we expect you to be focused in on uh, over the next you know couple of weeks as the Mets come home and now you know face the Braves and the schedule doesn't get too much tougher, but you know their first test with Atlanta coming to City Field. Well, yeah, of course. Just uh, you know seeing how they match up with the Braves is going to be interesting. Like they're half game out right now, but can they hang with the Braves this year? Uh, are they going to be challenging them for the division title? Are, are they legit? Can they play against these, you know, these other contend- contending teams? Can they, you know, hang with these guys? You know, and also seeing like, is their starting pitching going to get healthier and and hold it together? Is the offense going to keep this up and, and wind up getting production out of some of those, you know, anemic areas such as third base and catcher and DH and, and, and can their bullpen continue to pitch the way that they have? Cause they've been impressive without Edwin Diaz and David Robertson's been great. albino has been really good. Um, you know, can they keep this up? That's, that's really what I'm going to be focused on over these next couple of weeks. What's been your biggest surprise so far out of this team? You know, I was asked this today and I would say the biggest surprise is just Pete's overall performance so far. I mean, not that it, he shouldn't be so surprising because he is an all-star first baseman, but just at the level he's been able to play so far out of the gate, I'd say that's been really surprising that he, he looks like one of these elite hitters, you know, in the game so far. And, and the Mets hope that he can keep this up. Listen, you're on the Barstool podcast. You got to do us a favor. I know Frank the Tank is looking for a new NBA team. I got to put this out on the air. Tell him to stay away from the Knicks. I'm, I know this is a Mets podcast and I don't talk Knicks and I don't get into all that, but I had to say, what you want, the free agency is fan free agency. Look, I think there's some Mets fans that might trade him from the Mets to the Yankees at this point. You got to tell Frank, you know, calm down a little bit and stay away from the Knicks. That's what we need. I try to calm him down. I, I <laughs> trust me, I do, but it's just, there's no stopping him. Once the trains left the station, there's no stopping him. And uh, he's, he's not in a good mood after the last two games. And the devil and the devils are down in their series. So who knows what, at what point, what kind of Frank the tank you'll get as it goes on. So, all right. So you got anything coming up? Obviously, uh, the you know, at Regazzo Report on Twitter, uh, Sports Illustrated covering the Mets and the Yankees. Anything you got coming up you want to let the listeners know about? Just be sure to keep following along with my work covering the team. Uh, you'd see me at InsideTheMets.com and InsideThePinstripes.com. And, uh, yeah, we got a long season to go. I mean, we're about 15% done of the way. But, uh, you know, there's still a very, very long season. We've got a lot of months left. And, uh, yeah, just continue to uh, to follow me over there. Thank you, Pat. Be well. I appreciate everything. Thanks for having me, Mike. And that's Pat Ragazzo, Sports Illustrated. Get a chance to talk to somebody who covers the team, is in the clubhouse, and get a feel of, you know, what he's seen. Because, like I said in the open, things sometimes just don't make sense. Sports is wacky. The world is wacky. The world has been wacky for a while, especially the last couple of years. And, you know, the numbers don't add up. So, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe I'm the maybe I'm the one that's messed up. All right, let's take a quick break. Wrap up your listening to Talking Mets podcast. We're back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, 
right, we're back. Final thoughts. Talking Mets podcast. Appreciate Pat Ragazzo for joining me here tonight. Um, want to wrap up, you know, one of our fans of the show over on Twitter at NoroDoc18. Actually, it's not at, at EEG1850, NoroDoc18. I don't know. Are you a brain doctor, NoroDoc? Because if you are, maybe you need to examine sometimes why I do this show because it could drive me batty sometimes. But anyway, uh, NoroDoc, and I brought this up to Pat during our spot. You know, at, you know, asked me, and I, I wormed it in, you know, what if Vientos gets called up? Who's the odd man out? Escobar, Guillorme. Buck showed this week that they may have given up on Escobar. So it's an interesting way to wrap up the show because while I opened up and I talked about, you know, the two Hall of Fame pitchers and how important it is for us to get to know what the hell they actually have left as we head into May, the roster, especially on the offensive side, is interesting. Look, we know what the deal is, is going to be with the pitching. The bullpen is going to have the guys like Brigham and Curtis and anybody who has options. Because Billy Epler talked about this in the offseason. They're going to get shuttled up. They're going to get shuttled down. They're going to get shuttled up. They're going to get shuttled down. So they have that component of the bullpen. You're always going to try to have 13 star- uh, pitchers. You know, Especially with the starters going five innings, there is no way that you could even fathom going one less pitcher to bring back a position player. But really, when you look at the Mets, uh, the importance with the lack of outfield depth in case of an injury where Tim LaCastro, especially with the component he brings late in the game with his speed, what are they going to do with this, what many think is a phantom injury? I mean, his back is hurting. How long is he going to be on the back, you know, the I.L. with the back? You know, what's going to happen when Narvaez comes back? You know, Narvaez coming back, and that's so far down the road. If Alvarez actually hits... That creates a little of a roster conundrum with Nito. You told, you heard me talk about with Pat about that. And really, in a lot of ways, you wonder if that's impacting Alvarez here. Because, you know, he, he knows he doesn't have a spot. Is he putting a little bit too much pressure on himself? Is he spending too much time worried about calling a game, which he really doesn't call a game anymore with PitchCom, the pitchers do. But the mechanics of being a, a, a catcher behind the plate, is that overwhelming him and forcing him not to be the offensive player that you think? But when you start to look at the the team right now, everybody who's on the roster really has a role, maybe not a sexy role, but a role that makes it hard for you to see if Vientos gets call, get, get called up or Mauricio get called up. I mean, already Alvarez is on the clock for when Navarez comes back, he's probably going to get sent back down. Beatty's probably safe unless he doesn't hit. I already talked about the importance of an Escobar in the clubhouse, and and let's face it, you you don't you haven't seen Beatty hit at an acceptable level for any length of time outside of spring training. He's got to do it at the big league level in real games. So before until you see that, you can't dump Escobar unless you feel confident about Guillaume becoming your everyday third baseman. Um, Tommy Pham doing his part against left-handed pitching as the you know the backup you know you know outfielder slash uh, righty component at DH with the lack of outfield depth in this system. You're going to need him because if any of those guys, Marte, Nimmo, uh, Canna, go down, look, Marte's already got a neck issue. You know, Tommy Pham is a guy who has played every day and has played at a pretty decent above-league average level where for two weeks, like we talked about in the offseason, you want your bench players to be able to go out there for two weeks or so and be able to not have a huge drop-off. I think Tommy Pham falls into that. At least I believe that to be the case. So you really can't see... To answer that question, you really can't see Vientos, 
being on this roster um, because you need Guillaume for his defense, especially with Beatty at third. And I think Buck likes him and likes what the kind of contact skills he brings to the plate. Uh, you can't really get rid of Escobar right now because he's caddying for Beatty. Um, you know, I'm not ready to just throw Vogelback away. I mean, I know it's not it's not a good 123 OPS. Is there ever such a bad 123 OPS plus? Uh, you know, but he's a guy that's probably building a lot of his production through walks. Uh, you know, he's got a home run. He seems to be hitting the ball a little bit better, but it hasn't been sexy. But that's a guy who's been a lead against right-handed pitching. He's got a resume. Uh, Vientos is still an unknown commodity. So you don't want to give away uh, Mauricio or Venientos in a trade. I think eventually with Mauricio learning another position, I'm not ready to just throw him at second base this year. And if you read the comments by Billy Epler, I believe it was an article at SMY.TV, that they really want to compartmentalize his development where once he mastered the hitting, then they were comfortable moving him into other positions. It sounds like he's ticketed for AAA the entire year for his development. Maybe you see him as September call-up, maybe as a reward. But my guess is Mauricio's going to spend the year in AAA unless, God forbid, you have a serious injury to Lindor and you need a shortstop. Or there is a definite need for a bat either by an injury somewhere else or significant underperformance. Uh, you know, Viento's probably more likely to get a call. But, you know, he's also limited too because... You know, defensively, that's not his bag. You're really looking at him as a DH. So uh, I don't think that Vientos gets the call at the expense of any of those players. Even though I know what you're saying, that now Escobar has been pushed back a little bit. He had a great game in San Francisco. Was it Thursday night? So I'm not saying that. I think they're going to spot Escobar against left-handed pitching or against pitchers that he hits well to get him back into a groove. I don't think we've seen the last of Escobar. I think Buck is now trying to build him back up to see what he can give him the rest of the year. And he's going to do that by putting him in a little bit, taking the pressure off of him. And obviously his clubhouse presence, the class he's handled his demotion here with Beatty being called up, actively going out on social media to show his support of Beatty. To me, that shows you what kind of teammate he is. And guys at the clubhouse that get that kind of respect you don't just throw them away without a good reason. You got to be really careful about that. So, uh, unfortunately, I think Vientos is really the odd man out. He's a round peg in a square hole. But here's the good news: not good for Vientos because he doesn't want to spend another year down at Syracuse. Vogelback's potentially not going to be around next year. You're going to potentially need a DH. It's very, very likely that both Mauricio and Vientos become big parts on the offensive side at a very cost-effective way for the Mets' offense in 2024. So it's not just about this year. It's about the long term. And, you know, sometimes patience is something that, you know, you got to have with some of these kids. So a little bit long-winded answer to your question. But to me right now, I don't see a fit for either Mauricio or Vientos, even though both of them profile really well to round out this offense on the roster in 2023, unless there's a significant injury at some point. So. We got a little deeper into the kids and whatnot. I know everybody's excited about the kids, and it gives some juice to going on MLB TV and watching maybe a Syracuse game. But you know, right now, I think you got to ride with the veterans on the roster. You would matriculate Beatty and Alvarez into the lineup a little bit. And look, both those kids have the hardest job possible. They're developing at the big league level for a team that has championship aspirations in a win-now window. Doesn't get much harder than that. The good news is is that the offense is still performing well enough where they're not the focus. 
But the minute that Alonzo and Nimmo cool off, and they're going to cool off a little bit, Nimmo's not going to be Ricky Henderson the whole year. Pete is not going to hit home runs, at least I don't think, like Barry Bonds the whole year. Can he challenge 60 home runs? Like, that'd be a great story. It'd be a great story. The very least, like Pat said, let's see if he could break the Mets home run record and maybe get 55, 56, 57. But um, once those guys cool down, you're going to need more production at those positions. So that might get a little more magnified. It gives them a little bit of time with those two hot hitters that are making up for some of the, the deficiencies of the offense uh, to get their their sea legs. But that clock could run out pretty quickly. So anyway, I want to thank everybody for joining me for this latest edition of the Talking Mets podcast. I want to thank Pat Ragazzo of SI for joining us. Of course, you could check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can share on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You can check me out on Instagram, no G. And I want to thank the good folks from the fan side of Podcasting Network for supporting this show. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with another Talking Podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.